Welcome to Blackbird episode number 23. My name is James, and today I am joined by attorney and tax advisor Matt Cersely. Matt is a lawyer down in Dallas, Texas, and he runs agoristaxadvice.com. And we thought that for the kind of belated tax season this year, we could talk a little bit about tax law, um, some of the ways that uh, people in our orbit can take advantage of his services. Um, and also he has set up a free consultation page for fans of this show, which you can access at agoristaxadvice.com slash blackbird. I'll make sure to put a link to that in the show notes. I'm going to go ahead and let Matt talk more about his own business because I'm an absolute idiot when it comes to that kind of thing. So I'm going to go ahead and ask the questions and let Matt give us the answers. Before we get into it with Matt, please, before we get into it with Matt, have you subscribed to this show on Substack yet? Uh, I think that you will benefit tremendously if you will just throw your email address in the form at blackbird.substack.com. That will sign you up not only for alerts for this show, but also for any written content that I put out, which is going to be coming out with greater frequency here in the very near future. Um, I don't want you to miss out on anything, and I also don't want myself to miss out on some great subscribers. Uh, And if you sign up for the paid subscription, there's some added benefits, including being able to comment on the posts that come out. And then also, once I do start pumping out premium content, which should probably happen before the end of this year anyway, you'll also get access to that. Plus, you'll get the satisfaction of knowing that you're helping me out. So I really appreciate that. And with that, here is my interview with Matt Cersely. All right, Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah. Uh, so we we uh, we actually have met. We've um, you're the second lawyer I've had on the show, and the second lawyer I've had lunch with before at a Mexican restaurant. Did I have a Mexican lunch with the other one? No. But uh, we did have Mex. We had Mexican food in Dallas, and sat across from you, and you sat next to a welder, and the lawyer and the welder had really good rapport, which was which was an interesting uh, kind of dynamic. Um, but before I just start reminiscing. Why don't I let you introduce yourself to the audience so that they all know who we're talking to? Sure. My name is Matt Sersley. I live in Dallas, Texas area. I've been an attorney for 11 years. Uh, Most of my professional career, I've dealt with personal injury, car wrecks, dog bites, um, but a little bit here, a little bit there, got into some tax stuff, and so started up my own uh, tax advising service end of last year. So, oh yeah, so the whole reason that you even approached the idea of coming on the show was after my interview with Pavel, um, the crypto guy, you had some, uh, you had some cautionary tales to tell, or maybe just some cautions to give um, regarding the uh, crypto trading trade, is that right? Uh, correct. It, I mean, it can be incredibly lucrative, and frankly, the government usually doesn't know what you're doing with it. But if they figure it out and you don't do the taxes right, you will be in club fed for the rest of your life. Nice. So that's fun. <laughs> uh, do, do you think um, – I mean, basically, I think what a lot of people are doing is using a uh, like tax bit is what I use for tracking all of my trades. Um including profits, losses, swing trades, all of that stuff. Um, are those sites in, in your experience generally pretty reliable or? Uh, they are. And, and let me now be the lawyer and say for anybody listening, hey, these are my opinions. But before you do anything, talk to somebody else. Make sure they know your situation, especially I'm going to be talking about federal stuff. But like California and New York are crazy when it comes to this. So I'm going to give you great advice. 
for the feds, and then you know you completely get screwed by the tax man of your state. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I I actually personally I just use an Excel, Excel spreadsheet, but I don't do a whole lot of crypto trading for a mass trader. I think you have to use one of those website trackers. Um, I don't personally know how private they are. So that would be my big concern. Again, if you're not reporting everything on your taxes, you don't want it to get revealed to the government that you're not. Well, yeah. And I, I, I have, uh, I've kind of chickened out of the whole uh, full on agorist thing. So I'm, I'm trying to be as within the, within the letter of the law as possible. Um, So tell me about your, your tax, your tax uh, advising company. What all, what all are you doing? Um, It sounds like you kind of wanted to take a libertarian bent on this sort of thing. Uh, so my website's actually agoristaxadvice.com. Um, and that's because I really wanted to work with people who hate taxes. I hate taxes. Taxes are terrible. Um, yes, taxation is theft. And I want to stop what theft I can. So I started this business after meeting with, uh, hanging out at Jack Spirko's event and meeting a whole bunch of great people there. And realizing a lot of them didn't know what I know about taxes and realized I could help people. And in particular, no tax advisor can do much to help your standard W-2 employee save much on taxes. Like there's really not much we can do if you go to a job, have a salary, you know. But if you're a business person, if you have a side hustle, um, or if you have real estate, those there are always things that can be done to help you save your taxes if you do it right. Yeah, that's, so that's one of the that's one of the reasons I started a podcast was so that I could um, just show a little bit of income from this, uh, but then also write off a whole bunch. And and that's something that uh, you want to be careful admitting that because <laughs> if you uh, admit you're just have the business as a tax dodge, that causes problems. Uh, unless you actually do have income, at which point it is less of an issue. But it's a great idea if, if something is interesting to you. Um, and you start a business and you actually sell something, or you actually at least make some money, even if it's not a net profit, it's not too hard to at least write off some of the expenses related to that. And so even if you know the business loses money, if you get something out of it, you know, you pay for a conference or a class you really wanted to take and can write that off, it might make sense. And then of course, if the business succeeds, great. Now you have a secondary income source. Yeah. Well, and I've got a number of those like e-commerce businesses and um, this thing and uh, like some, uh, you know, flipping stuff on Amazon and that sort of thing, which I guess falls under the realm of e-commerce, but uh, it's a little bit different. <clears throat> um, I've got a few little side hustles. So, you know, it it's it's fun. It's It keeps me really busy, though. Um, so I'd like to I'd like to try to make my income as passive as possible, uh, which the crypto trading seems to be doing all right, at least this year. Um, so what else, what, so what precisely would someone who works with you, um, do? Well, there's a lot of different things. Um, and I've worked with a lot of different clients in a lot of different situations. So I'm working with, um, and I, I, again, I'm an attorney, this, everything I discuss is confidential. So I have to be very generic when I talk about any of this. Um, but I've worked with people who are working on starting up a farm where they already have some land, but they want to. Um, start growing things and selling things, you know, and in particular, they want to make sure they set that up to where they avoid any taxes they can, but they also want to more concerned about the asset protection side because it's also where they live. Hmm. So they want to make sure if something happens with the business, they're not going to lose the farm, literally. Um, I've worked with other people, several people who are independent contractors, 
And you, it's amazing what you can do just by changing from being a independent contractor, you know, John Smith, and changing that over to an LLC, John Smith LLC. And some things you can do even when you're just a regular independent contractor, but some things become a lot easier when you incorporate or have an LLC or something. And I mean, a lot of the times I can find three, four, five percent of gross revenue in savings. So if somebody's making, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in revenue, I can find three to five thousand dollars in tax savings if they haven't worked with anybody. Hmm. Um, and so there's there's a couple of big things. Uh, one of the things, I don't just look at income taxes. I try to look at income taxes and payroll taxes and capital gains and sometimes play some gains with that. So particularly for an LLC, this, this trick doesn't work as well under the Trump tax cuts, but it still works. If you have an LLC, you can structure it so that instead of all the money you make coming in as a salary, maybe 20 or 30% of it comes in as a capital distribution. You still owe all the same income tax on that, but now you don't owe the payroll taxes on that. And since self-employed payroll taxes are over 15%, I mean, if you just send $20,000 that way, hey, look, that's $3,000 in payroll tax you don't have to pay. So um, for someone who has, who got a D in accounting and then the second time he took it, got a C, and that's only because he hired someone on Fiverr to do the final project, can you, uh, can you kind of explain what an LLC is? And also maybe get into the difference between an LLC and an S-corp, because that's something I genuinely don't understand. Okay. Um, and every state is different on this, but generally every state a business can be a sole proprietorship. That's just you are doing the job. It can be a partnership. You and somebody else are doing a thing together. It can be a corporation, which is you or you and other people set up a separate entity through the state system, and then you or you and other people own that entity. And an LLC is a lot like a corporation, except officially it's a membership. You're members of the LLC. And that in some states, there's really not any significant difference at all. In some states, there are massive benefits to being an LLC instead of a corporation. But I believe in California, and again, not a California attorney, talk to somebody else, but I believe in California, you're usually better off being a corporation than an LLC. The great thing about being an LLC is, from a tax standpoint at least, is you can choose how you're taxed. You can say, okay, I'm a single member LLC. I just want to be taxed like a sole proprietor. And so you get asset protection, but it doesn't change your taxes at all. And there are times that being a sole proprietorship might be better than other options. Um, S-Corp and C-Corp are the two ways a corporation can be taxed. And an LLC can also choose to be taxed either as a C-Corporation, which is the standard corporation, or an S-Corporation. Um, and basically, the main difference is a C-Corporation has its own tax return and pays its own income taxes. And any company you've ever heard of, you know, any company on the stock exchange, they're a C corporation. And so they have to pay taxes on their income, and then they have to distribute the profits to the owners as dividends, who then also pay taxes on those dividends. So you get taxed twice. It's called double taxation. Oh, and that's, okay. Yeah, you hear about double taxation. That's what that is. All right. Now, honestly, again, under the Trump tax cuts, there are a lot of times when the double taxation may actually be less than what you would pay the other way around. So it, it used to be, you know, you're always better off being an S corporation if you're, you know, a one or two people in a company. That's still usually true, but it's not always true. 
But an S corporation is different because your S corporation files a return, but all the return is, is it says, what were the profits of the company? You, the member or the members in proportion to their ownership, you pay the taxes on your personal taxes, but also any deductions from the companies flow through to you. And so it is simpler. Um, again, usually it will result in you paying less taxation. There are rules about who can be uh, taxed as an S corporation. Uh, the biggest one being, I don't believe any of the owners or members can be foreign citizens or foreign residents because then they can't force them to pay their part of the taxes. Um, but there are restrictions on the size of it. There are restrictions on lots of things. Again, if you're a one, two, three, four man shop, and you're all permanent residents in the United States, you can always do an S corporation. There are exceptions. Talk to an attorney, talk to a CPA about it, and they'll always be able to tell you if you qualify or not. Um, so generally speaking, if you're a one-man show, you know, say a podcaster who also has a bunch of e-commerce side gigs and also a day job, um, is like an LLC where you're uh, just reporting it as part of your income usually the best way to go? So there's a couple of different ways to do it, and there might be times that it might make sense to have two different LLCs, one of them taxed as a C-Corp, one of them taxed as an S-Corp, hmm. and each of those LLCs might own different parts of your uh, little e-commerce empire, as it were. Um, you also, depending on it, you could just own one LLC that holds all of them. If they're profitable enough, each of them could be their own LLC, but it costs money to have an LLC. Right. Uh, both to start it up and every year there are filing fees. So, you know, if you're making $1,000 a year on something, it doesn't make sense. If you're making $50,000 a year on something, it probably does. Um, but that's a pretty common thing to do and it is, is to have, you know, an LLC. And it just, it makes a lot of the tax accounting easier because backing up, an LLC is a different person than you. It, in fact, it's called a legal person. The LLC will have its own tax ID number. And thanks It'll to Mitt Romney, we, we all know that tax uh, that corporations are people, my friend. Well, and, and this is what they mean by saying corporations are right. people, is that the corporation has some rights to own things like a bank account. And your LLC should have a separate bank account. And now it becomes a lot easier to tell, you know, oh, this thing was paid for by my LLC. Well, it's a lot easier to show that that's probably a business expense. Especially if it's something that's you know a little bit on the line. So I, one of the common deductions my clients will take is they will pay for their cell phone bill, but their LLC will reimburse them for half of that bill if they use their phone for the business. Um, and now suddenly half of that bill has become tax deductible. Now, if you don't ever use your cell phone for business, don't do that. And frankly, if you wouldn't have a cell phone but for the business, maybe your business can pay for more of it. But we. The major tax advantage to having these LLCs is you can put these expenses into the LLC that maybe you couldn't. How do you uh, so? How do you record that? Do you just like use QuickBooks or something like that to reimburse yourself? Or so yeah, it really depends on how complicated things are. QuickBooks or uh, FreshBooks or any of those accounting softwares, if you know how to use them, are pretty much the gold standard. Um, I'll be honest. I you know I'm a lawyer. I'm not an accountant, so. I can use QuickBooks, but I can't use it well. And mostly I just keep an Excel spreadsheet. Okay. So we've got the different kind of business entities. We know why corporations are people. What do you think of um, sort of the agorist critique of corporations in general, the existence thereof that perhaps that they wouldn't even exist in a free market? 
I think corporations would exist. I think they'd be different. I think they'd be smaller in a free market. Um, and this, this comes down to if you're suing somebody for damages, it's usually for one of two things, a contract or a tort. You know, either you had a contract and somebody broke it or somebody did something that hurt you. And frankly, I think a lot of corporations in a free market would still have protections for the owners in the contract sense. And that's sort of the free market. If the contract says, hey, I'll go after the corporation's assets, but not, you know, owner Bob and owner, owner Jim's, that's totally fine. I think the, the more complicated question is, is the tort question. There certainly wouldn't be, um, you know, automatic protection. Uh, Rothbard in Ethics of Liberty does talk about, though, he's not sure owners of things should be responsible for the things done by like an employee. So Rothbard was actually even against you being able, like if if uh, you know a Walmart truck driver hit you, Rothbard said you should sue the truck driver, not Walmart. So there is some different debate on that. That's not my specialty, I, but I definitely think um, the state gives major advantages to corporations, um, and also major advantages to big corporations that stop smaller corporations from beating them. So I don't think we'd have, you know, multiple trillion dollar corporations walking around in a free market. Yeah, I think that I would probably agree with Rothbard on that. But then also, I it would not surprise me if Walmart were buying the truck driver's insurance. Um, and then, I mean, and be- really, and, and Konkin was real big on like ind- independent contractors where, you know, the truck driver might not even work for, for Walmart. Maybe he is on the hook for everything. Um, just because he's not a Walmart employee, he's an independent contractor who happens to be contracted with Walmart at this, for this given run. And, you know, it's funny because that, that goes into my other area because I am a personal injury attorney. So I deal with those trucking situations all the time. And that's a big deal with Amazon right now. Because like most of those Amazon trucks you see driving around the road, those are not being driven by Amazon employees. The trucks are not actually owned by Amazon. Those are all independent contractors, and Amazon requires them to have insurance, but it doesn't necessarily check to make sure they keep their insurance. And there have definitely been some problems. So it's, I mean, it's really complicated, especially when you're talking about you know a truck driver driving you know a 20 ton truck. A simple mistake can hurt a lot of people. So we got to take care of that. But on the other hand, like we don't it, – it's it's a big principle in the common law is just like, well, who has money to pay for this? And it's like that's not right. Like just because you have money doesn't mean you're responsible that something bad happened to somebody. So what what does happen if, uh, if an independent contractor representing Amazon hits someone with their truck, the person's injured, and they don't actually have insurance? Do they just file for bankruptcy and the injured party is – screwed or what uh pretty much i mean it hopefully the injured party has uninsured coverage um on their auto insurance that's something i i I don't care what state you're in buy it have it there's way too many people without insurance out there and it happens all the time with people come to me and it's like i'm sorry there's no insurance i can't really do anything unless you're willing to pay me up front um but yeah a lot of times People do get screwed. Sometimes, um, at least in that case, you know, there's an asset. There was a truck. Usually, there's the independent contractor company has some assets, and so worst case scenario, sometimes you can go in and basically take over that company. But it's it's messy. It's ugly, and 
it's never fair for the injured person. So uh, back to taxes for a little bit. You um, so you you decided that you wanted to start this uh, Agris Tax Advice venture at Jack Spearco's event. Um, Jack <laughs> Jack gets a lot of tax questions for some reason uh, as uh, on his Q and A shows, and usually he just says, "Look, go to H and R Block." Uh, do, you, do you think H and R Block is good enough? That's I mean that's who I use too. I've got a really good guy that I've been going to for years. So so there's there's two different levels of this question. Um, don't come to me to do your taxes. Don't bring me your W-2 or your 1099. That's not what I do. I'm not an accountant. I don't sit down and figure out you're going to owe Uncle Sam $74,000.23. I give preemptive tax advice. Most people at H&R Block are not going to give you tax advice, or if they do, it's going to be, well, we did your taxes this year, and I found this. Maybe you can do it next year. You know, what I do is I sit down with the person um, initially and then typically quarterly to talk with them about where are we in the business? What are we doing? What have the changes in the tax code have been? One of those meetings is always in December. Hey, what can we finagle to maybe change what year something happens in? Because sometimes maybe you want that check December 31st, but maybe you want it January 1st, depending on your tax situation. So, Again, to, to do your taxes, yeah, I go to H&R Block, go to, to one of these places, um, especially if you're, you know, either not a business or it's a relatively small business. You don't need, you know, some CPA uh, who's going to charge you thousands of dollars for it. But again, what I do is very different in the, that I give the tax advice. There are CPAs who do that as well. Not everybody needs it necessarily, but for almost every business, taxes are either your number one, number two, or number three expense. Basically, the only other expenses that even come close are usually uh, your physical space if you have brick and mortar and your wages to employees. Um, otherwise, I mean, literally, taxes are probably 25% of your income. Um, especially if you, I, I don't count it there, like inventory you're buying and selling. But like kind of your 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 costs on you really, you really make mm-hmm. taxes are a huge expense, and so if you can cut that down even a little bit, it can be a huge change to the bottom line. Um, and by definition, it's tax free. <laughs> um. So, do you have any insight onto like trends or the future um, of, you know, business taxes? Perhaps you know how technology, even the blockchain, could. Uh, could help simplify things? So the fact of the matter is, if we wanted a simple tax system, it would be very simple to do. Yeah, ours is comparatively pretty complex. It it is in many ways the most complicated system in the world. And um, this is one of my father's favorite stories of companies behaving badly. So in most companies in Europe, when you get your, like you get your W-9 from your employer, Well, about a month later in Europe, you actually get something from the tax authority saying, here are all the forms we've received. Here is how we have calculated your taxes. If you think this is correct, we'll do this. If you think it's incorrect, let us know what we're missing. And so for your average wage employee, like you don't have to file your taxes. The government tells you what your taxes are. And I mean, it's usually correct. But Intuit, which owns TurboTax, has spent 
millions and millions of dollars lobbying to stop that from happening in America. And every year or two, there's a proposed bill to try to do this in America, to have the IRS do this, and it gets stopped. So there are people who don't want the tax system to be more simple. <laughs> Including probably H&R Block as well. And, you know, it's like, I'll be honest, I would lose money if it were simpler. I wish it were because I'm kind of in this more to screw the government than, well, that's at least half of it, you know, give them as, as little money as possible. But the fact of the matter is, this the way our system works, even, even if they were to say, okay, we're going to get rid of 90% of the loopholes, which usually aren't. You know, give it 10 or 15 years and there'll be new loopholes. There'll be new exceptions. There'll be new deductions because that's the way our system works. I will say myself and almost every other tax advisor and CPA I know thinks this is the lowest taxation any of us are going to see in our lifetime. I mean, the Trump tax cuts, especially for business people, especially for, uh, frankly, the people who can afford to hire somebody like me, it cut, it cut your taxes. Maybe not a lot, but it cut your taxes. Um, it cut corporate taxes significantly. Biden's already said he wants to raise taxes, and he says he doesn't want to raise it on anybody making more than 400 k a year. I think we all know what a politician's promises are worth. You know, and even if even if nothing happens, the Trump tax cut isn't permanent. It's going to come to an end in a couple of years, and some of those rates are going to go back up. So even if nothing happens, your taxes are going to go up in. Oh man, I I feel bad about this. I can't remember if it's in three years or four years. Um, but you know, I mean, it unless monetary uh, what is it? Modern monetary theory takes over and they just stop taxing us entirely. Taxes are going to just get more complicated and keep going up and up and up at least for the next five to ten years. Yeah, uh, and just to clarify, it looks like the Trump tax cuts expire in twenty twenty five, so four years from now. Uh, or at least that's the one for individuals and families. Do you think that's going to be different for? for and there are a couple of different ones, but I think they mostly yeah do expire in twenty twenty five. Um, so what do you think of a so like recently Elizabeth Warren and Amazon kind of feuded mainly because <laughs> because uh, Amazon tweeted something mocking Elizabeth Warren, who of course will not be mocked, uh, while Jeff Bezos was testifying before the Senate. Um, what, what do you think of that? Do you think uh, to me that just seems like professional wrestling? Like these these people are all on the same team and they're just pretending. But uh, I mean, do you really think that Elizabeth Warren um, wants to close these so called loopholes and Amazon really doesn't want those so called loopholes to be closed? Well, I guarantee Amazon does not want those loopholes to be closed. Um, I just, I think Senator Warren is probably in the top 10% most honest politicians in that her stated goals are probably her real goals. Um, I think she probably doesn't want to close all the loopholes. I think she wants to close some loopholes and open others up, you know, to help the people think she thinks that need help. Um, I, I don't, I don't know exactly. I mean, I, I'm, I'm no fan of just Bezos um, as a person you know, interacting with politics. Um, I love Amazon in terms of getting me stuff in two days. 
I use them for a lot of things. I don't use them for as many things as I used to because I have some privacy concerns. But I, I think, I mean, professional wrestling, I think it, it's probably a fair comparison because I actually, I, I was just getting into this, listening to a, an interview with Kane, um, who is now the mayor of some town in, in Tennessee. But he was talking about how, like, you know, everybody in wrestling knows how it's going to end. The only question is, you know, the, the, the wrestling is how do we get there? And that's not scripted. That's very much, you know, improvised. I think that's kind of what a lot of is, is going on with a lot of politicians. Like we all know the goal. We all know where we're going to be. The only question is how do we get there? And does it take five years or 25 years? Um, so Elizabeth Warren also accused Amazon of union busting. Um, can I, I'm so... I'm so just out of the loop on anything labor related other than like corporate HR in a non-union company. So what, what is union busting and why is that seen as such a bad thing uh, from, from the, I guess the left end of the political spectrum, although Elizabeth Warren wouldn't consider herself necessarily on the left. So I, I am not a labor lawyer, so right. I am. And yeah, caveats and all that. Uh, I, I'm not going to talk lawyer. about what union busting is because I just, I don't know. But as to why they want unions, they think unions raise wages. And there's a whole, I mean, there's a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of them in my family, frankly, and not all of them on the left who think that, oh, it's great to be in union because unions raise the wages of the employees. And I mean, as shown by every competent economist, well, they probably raised the wages of the employees in the union, but they hurt everybody else in society, so it's not necessarily a good thing. Um, I do know there's some – one of the bills that they're trying to pass federally is going to make it a lot easier for unions to form and also get rid of a lot of independent contractors. Um, I guess it's very similar to the California bill that passed that nearly destroyed Uber in some of those places. I knew we wouldn't just keep that in California. It's the test bed, man. They, they test it in California to see how it works. But it's working badly, right? I mean, the, not even, even the journalists don't like it because they're all independent contractors. Some of the journalists like it or they like the ideas. Oh, we, we, we didn't set it up quite right. But if we changed it, if we fixed it. Oh, right, right. I forgot. You know, we just need a second draft of it. <laughs> journalists are all technocrats, really. Again, there are some good journalists, there are some honest journalists, but uh, they're hard to find. Well, just like there's some honest politicians, like our friend Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> Semi-honest. Um, so how did you, just switching completely off of your career, let's talk about your life. How did you, how did you come to like agorism and libertarianism? So I went to the University of Dallas which Ooh. is a Catholic university in Irving. I almost went there. Um, and when I went there, Dr. Samuel Bostaff, who's affiliated with uh, the Mises Institute or used to be, was the, uh, uh, the chief of the economics department. And one of my best friends is a guy named Adam Martin, who is now Dr. Adam Martin, who works at Texas Tech. And briefly, while Robert Murphy was there, he worked with him. And Adam Martin convinced me. I mean, and convinced me mostly with economic arguments that 
the government shouldn't be involved. It, it wasn't a moral issue. It was just say it doesn't work. And then I did what I do, which is I started reading. Um, I actually, I, I, I was still at the college, so I took a couple economics classes, including one on uh, economic thought. And uh, one that was by Samuel Bostaff. And one of the books we read was a little book called uh, The Church and the Market Economy uh, by Tom Woods. And that was the year it came out. Um, so we actually, I think we actually had to change the syllabus because the book got delayed by three weeks. And so we had to change the order of the readings. But so that mean that was, you know, early 2000s. I was convinced that's actually part, that's a big part of why I became a lawyer too. That yeah, my own experience when I got hurt, but uh, the rest of it was, you know, I was, I wanted to be the shining knight doing constitutional law, fighting for people, fighting for, you know, criminal defendants. And then, you know, I get into law school and I get out and there aren't that many jobs doing that sort of thing. Mm. Um, and the ones that are really don't pay very well and definitely don't pay for your student loans. So, but I, I just, I got interested in it uh, then and I've been interested ever since. That's pretty um, great. So uh, what was your, what was your major at UD? I was actually a math major, computer science minor. Okay. So yeah, that's, that's interesting. What year did you graduate from high school? Uh, 2001. Okay. No, 2002. So if I, if I, okay. I graduated in 01. If, if I had ended up going to UD, we would have been classmates. That's crazy. And uh, we definitely would have known each other as small yeah, as it was. Yeah, exactly. Uh, computer science was one of my, one of the two potential majors I was going to go into. I ended up, ended up going to culinary school, but that, <laughs> that obviously didn't work out. Um, culinary school is a worse investment than law school, actually. So, <laughs> well, uh, it's probably good you didn't do the University of Dallas either, because they shut down the computer science department my sophomore year there. So, oh wow, well there you go. Yeah, all I remember about the computer science guy was that he had a really long frizzy ponytail. Uh, yeah, that was Dr. McNichol. He was a great guy. Um, I spent a lot of time with uh, with both the computer science teachers there who are also math professors. Um, Dr. McNichol and Dr. White, uh, who were, really were great guys. Uh, Dr. White was actually, he was the uh, uh, the chair, the, the faculty advisor for the, uh, the campus uh, gaming club. So role-playing, card games, all that, computer games, all that sort of stuff. Um, and I was very into that. I'm still very into that. I, I run a weekly D and D game over, uh, discord still. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Uh, is that all local people or is it? Um, so it was all local people. Somebody dropped out and, uh, the brother of one of the people is now in the game and he used to live here, but he's been in Massachusetts for seven years now, I think. Yeah, so, I've got a friend. I've got a friend who runs a number of D and D games, and they've been his gaming groups are all very COVID uh, averse, so they've been doing it all via, um, I think, Zoom for you know the last year. So with everybody getting the jab, they're all looking forward to reconvening in his basement, um, which is which is fun. He's he's in his fifties, and it seems like everybody in his group almost are as well. Just kind of a lifelong hobby. Yeah, it's a, I'm, I'm a little younger than that. I have three small children. So honestly, I've been gaming more because of this, because like I, we can play for three hours and it's not too bad playing for three hours online. You know, if we all had to drive to the same place and, 
you know, it's half an hour to get there, half an hour to get home. We couldn't do it as late. So, um, honestly, it was, it's been probably the one bright spot to come into my life from COVID is I'm playing more D&D and doing it a lot easier. Um, the scheduling a lot easier, at least. There's a lot of overlap between um, D&D players and uh, what, like libertarians in general, isn't there? Is it? Is that, I, is, I find, is that a stereotype or is it is it real? I find uh, gamers tend to be very radical, but they tend to be either very radical um, progressive or very radical libertarian. Like there's not much in between, and it certainly gets interesting when you mix us together sometimes. Kind of the same with, uh, um, oh God, what was I going to say? Kind of the same with sci-fi as well. Uh, I, I, I think sci-fi is so broad. There's, it's yeah. like there are some normies in there at least. Uh, there are not too many normal people who you know play D and D or other role-playing games. Um, which is unfortunate. That's, I mean, I think it's a great. Again, this is Adam Martin, the guy who brought me into the libertarianism. He played D and D because it was a great excuse to see his friends on a regular basis. Like it wasn't his favorite game, but it meant you saw the same people, you know, every week or every other week. Um, and I'm still friends with some of my friends from high school because we kept playing D and D through college. And I guarantee you, we would have split up if that hadn't happened. So I, I think games in general, whether they're computer games, board games, card games, role-playing games, um, are a really great way to build community. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and given the, given the, I wouldn't say autistic, uh, autistic, autism is like a stereotype among libertarians and sci-fi geeks and gaming geeks. And it's not really diagnosable autism, but there's something there that, uh, kind of unites those those kind of nerdy groups um <clears throat> so yeah i mean making making friends around common interests is definitely the best way to build like lasting friendships and maybe even overlooking um conflicts that arise that aren't germane to that common interest uh, you know, and that's certainly true. I've I've uh, found a couple of groups online that do what are called play by post. So instead of everyone getting together, it's Discord. We just post what we're doing on the forum. And I'm on one forum where um, it's very progressive. It is very um, woke culture. But people are actually like, if anybody that's like posting anything like really political, like people, other people are like, hey, we're not here for that. Like we're here to to spend time doing this thing we love. So it's like, again, there's like small little things and it's like, oh, of course, everybody's, you know, it's like, oh yeah, congratulations, you got the COVID vaccine, yay. Um, but like, you know, somebody posted one of these, you know, oh, it's, you know, if, if you're white, you're probably racist things. And a lot of people are calling them out for it, so. That's good, that's good to hear. Um, I, yeah, I, and I, you know, I run in LGBT circles kind of a lot and i'm also seeing a lot of pushback against the more extreme versions of cancel culture at least um although there's still a ton of virtue signaling which is weird uh like a friend a friend of a friend of ours who uh you know i mean 
he was coming over kind of a lot still does like, you know, not every, not every day, not every week, but you know, at least once a month or so um, sometimes having big parties in his apartment um, posted a picture on Facebook of himself out on a trail and, and, and on the, and in a comment on the post on the photo, he said, Oh, but, but I just took off my mask for this picture. I was wearing it the entire time. Um, in fact, here's a picture of me on the same trail wearing my mask. So don't forget to wear your mask. And like, literally we had just been at a party at his, <laughs> at his house the previous weekend. So um, the, you know, I think baby steps might be, uh, might be the, the way to go. And like, like, like we were just saying, finding these common interests between the between the groups is probably a good way to sort of rebuild um, social networks, not or surrounded by politics and, and cultural conflicts. Yeah, I, I it is unfortunate that politics has gotten into so much stuff. It's like I, I can't remember who said it. I I, I know I know uh, they've talked about it and part of the problem that just like politics is in everything. And 30 years ago, it wasn't like you could just like, you know, like you can't talk about the weather today without talking about politics, literally, because <laughs> it'll bring up climate change. Yeah. Our, one of our local weathermen who actually, sorry, uh, weather for, meteorologist, he, he actually got fired. What did he get fired for? He got fired from his, like local network job. This is again, anti-cancel culture. I don't think he should have gotten fired for this, but uh, he called, I think he called Trump supporters Nazis or something like that on Twitter. Um, and so he was pretty promptly fired um, for his, for his political outburst. Uh, he's now at a local like web-based thing um, doing the, doing the weather. But uh, yeah, his forecast the other day, you know, half of it was about climate change and then the other the other half was you know so for the next five days here's what you can expect like i mean what, what do we need to know what, what you're what you're predicting for the next 30 years like it doesn't matter it, there, there's a bit i saw some comedian doing about you know the, these weather forecasters can't predict if it's going to rain in three days but they know it's going to happen in 30 years <laughs> god i know um okay so uh Let's go ahead and, and kind of wrap it up. This has been this has been a pretty fun conversation. Do you have anything else uh, that you think we didn't touch on um, as far as like taxes and staying compliant or at least appearing to stay compliant? Um, so the first thing I'm going to say is, again, if you want to save money on taxes, you either need a business or you need real estate. And that's basically a business. Um, that's actually how I really got started in doing some of this tax stuff for myself. Um, I think real estate can be a great investment, partly because of the amazing tax benefits to it. Yeah, we didn't even talk about real estate. Let's get into it. We've got we've got at least ten more minutes left. We're we're only fifty minutes into it. Um, what? Uh, so when you say real estate, I'm assuming you're not just talking about owning a field out in the middle of nowhere, right? Correct. Though I mean, some people make that work. You know, I, I personally own some real estate. I own a couple of houses uh, that I rent out to people, and I'm part of a group that has bought an apartment complex. Um, I'm a very small part of that group, um, but it's it's a pretty big apartment complex. And I mean, it 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 churns out a little bit of money every month, even in, in COVID. Thank God, it, we've done well. But the tax savings have just been out of this world on them. Um, and that's partly that's the, one of the biggest changes in the Trump tax cuts um, 
allows some people in certain situations to do a write-off of maybe 30 or 40% of their their uh, cash payment for a new property uh, as a deduction. So that can be, you know, again, huge tax savings for that year. And that's just that's just investment property, not like buying a house, I would assume, right? Correct. It, it, that only applies to investment properties. Um, but if it's a, what about if it's like a duplex and you live in half of it? Then there are definitely things you can do there because parts of the, so basically it, it gets a little complicated. Uh, and again, some states are different, but generally all of the exterior part of the house is considered an investment. Um, anything in just the side you live in is not anything in the other side is. And the landscaping gets a little bit weird about if it's you know in a public area or a private area and you're a private area. Um, but no, I think actually um, starting with a duplex or a three or fourplex, uh, living in one of the units and renting the other ones is actually a great way to get started in real estate investing. Um, my favorite real estate podcaster um, got started just that way in Alaska. He, he bought a fourplex and basically the other three units rent basically paid the mortgage. Um, and he now owns dozens of properties. Wow. So, uh, so if those other three prop, if the other three units are paying the mortgage, is he then taking out mortgages on the other properties as well? Or, uh, is he just whatever, whatever would have been his mortgage payment is like his, um, going into savings for new properties. Um, so like there's, there's just one mortgage on that building. So whenever you buy a building, it's one mortgage for the building. Basically, though, um, the three units rent were enough to pay for the four, the full mortgage for all mm -hmm. four units. Um, but no, definitely one of the ways to accelerate your growth is at least uh, to accelerate your, 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 your long-term growth is actually with mortgages, assuming you think appreciation is coming and with uh, the printer going burr, I think uh, mm -hmm. there'll be at least uh, – nominal appreciation on all properties. But the great thing is like that's let's say, God forbid, there's a hundred percent inflation over the next 10 years. Well, your mortgage basically just got cut in half because it's not going up. So even if you know and now the house it again, the house you bought for a hundred thousand is now worth two hundred thousand and the mortgage is still eighty thousand dollars or whatever, well, that's a profit. <laughs> also equity it, well and, and again it gets to be how much is that is real equity because it's, it's inflation but i mean some of it is actually definitely real equity um and it, it definitely gets complicated but i mean that's that's really why i got investing in real estate in the first place was and this was 10 years ago but it's like inflation is coming and it's going to be bad and i had no idea how bad it was going to be <laughs> but it's like as long as you make enough money to keep paying the mortgage from the tenant like you're going to make money on real estate just because it, there will be appreciation of the price because of inflation. And there does tend to be actual appreciation as, you know, you know, God, how much bigger is Dallas today than it was 10 years ago? You know, all those extra people wanting to live here do drive up prices. Yeah, every time I every time I come to town, uh, which is twice a year, there's some new building being erected. Uh, so it it's not even it's not just sprawling; it's also growing taller. Um, 
What about, so, you know, from an agorist position and, and, you know, I changed the name of this podcast on purpose. It's no longer a specifically agorist podcast, but um, I do have the agorist tax advisor on the show. So forgive me. Um, What about your gray market activities? And I'm, and when you were talking about the the outdoors and the landscaping, um, that's what kind of sparked this question. Uh, what if I'm growing a garden in my backyard and, you know, I make tomato sauce or whatever, and, you know, I have all the licenses and permits and stuff that I need. So I guess it's not really gray market. Uh, does my garden then become um, a commercial entity or something like that? Tax write off of some sort? It can. So um, the basic mantra, um, and I picked this up from someone else, but if you change your facts, you can change your tax. So like that. take something take something you're doing and just do it slightly differently and it can change whether it's taxable or not and yes i mean i you know let's say let's say uh you're a physical trainer and let's say you work in a gym but you have people that come like to your house and train in your garage mm-hmm. as as a side gig well now you can definitely write off the square footage of that garage whether you own it or rent it um most people can't write off a garage, but you're especially if you can show like, hey, I, I was looking at this apartment and the reason I didn't get this apartment was there was no garage. So instead, I've re- I rented this house with a garage. That's a very easy case to make. Oh, wow. Um, how, how, is the, how do you calculate like the value of that garage? Is it just like the value of the property divided by square foot it's, it's times a little bit the more- square feet of the garage? <laughs> It's a little more complicated than that because you can't say the garage space is the same value as the internal of the house because it's not, you know, air conditioned and all that. Um, and this is this is where we really get to gray stuff with tax. Is tax is one of those areas of law where there's not a lot of this is or this is not. Like it's all gray area. You know, is this allowed? Well, probably. Is this allowed? Well, probably not. You know, again, there, there are certain things that are, are black and white, but again, at some point, it's your job as a taxpayer in that situation to say what you think that portion of the value is. And then if the IRS doesn't challenge it, that's what it is. If they do challenge it, you better have a way to argue it. God, that is terrifying to me. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's something that I have a, this conversation with all of my clients is I will tell you when something is a slam dunk and I will tell you when something is going to lose. And I will tell you, in my opinion, how likely something is to work or not work if it ever comes up. And it's ultimately your decision how aggressive you want to be. And again, some things are, are very black letter law, very obvious, um, or can be made that way. Like you could actually hire um, you know, an appraiser to come in and appraise the value of the garage as part of the house. Like if you do that, you probably have a slam dunk case. But now you just spent five or six hundred dollars to get it, and it's going to take you, you know, four or five years to save that probably. So some of it, if you want certainty, it costs you money. It can still be worth it sometimes. When it comes to uh, deductions of the the value of a property for depreciation, you know, I wouldn't hire somebody from one of my houses, but we did hire somebody for the apartment complex because it wasn't twenty times more for the hundred unit apartment complex, so it made more economic sense. So if the if the IRS comes after one of your advisory clients for some of this gray area stuff, are are you also representing them in court, or are you strictly so, advice at the? So at the I end? will represent them if they choose to hire me. 
Um, it hasn't come up. I hope it doesn't come up because it's no fun for anybody. I mean, even it's just like being charged with a crime. Even if you win, like it costs you so much to deal with it, it's probably not worth it. But the fact of the matter is, the I, I really the, the the trick is to avoid red flags. There are red flags mm-hmm. that make it very likely you'll be audited. If you avoid those things, your odds of being audited are very low. And then even a lot of times in an audit, maybe it's like, oh, you did this wrong. It's an extra four hundred dollars. And it's like, just just pay that. Like even if you think it's wrong, <laughs> yeah. like just pay it. Um, you know, if it comes back and it's like, oh, you owe fifty thousand dollars, okay, now it maybe makes sense to fight it if you think you can. What are some of those red flags? So the biggest red flag there is, and I mentioned this before, there's this trick for um an S corporation where you split your salary into some of its salary and some of its capital distribution. And that way you don't pay some of the payroll taxes. Well, some people are like, oh, I'll just make everything a capital distribution and then I owe no payroll taxes. Yeah, that's a big no-no. And the IRS will catch that typically within uh, two tax years. And then they will say, oh, since you claim this fraudulently, everything is a salary, you owe all this back tax. Um, and again, if you had been more reasonable and said, and depending on on what information you have, it could be ten percent, it could be fifty percent. Um, but again, if you're more reasonable, you, it's not going to wave any flags. So this is this is a common saying among tax advisors: you know, pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. You want to be aggressive, but you don't want to be too aggressive. And there are definitely some some gray areas. Where again, it's why you should talk to somebody, whether it's a CPA. Um, certainly, if you're going to have a CPA file your taxes, talk with them because they have to sign off on them too. And I have, I've already had one issue with the client come back to me and said, my CPA says I can't do this. And I had about a half an hour meeting with that CPA at the end of which the CPA basically said, okay, I think you're actually right. You may be wrong about this one small issue. Let me look into that. Um, and actually, the CPA was right about the small issue, which meant that you know about ninety percent of my advice was correct, and we caught the one thing that probably wouldn't have been a big deal. There's just a debate. Really, it was there was a better way to do it that actually saved more money in taxes. So, bonus. Good for that client for hiring two different experts then. Well, and it's it's something I advise most of my clients to do, especially like again, if you're making you know forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year. Go to H&R Block, have them do your taxes. But if, if you're in business for yourself, don't do TurboTax. Like, yeah, it'll do an okay job, but you'll do better with, with H&R Block. If you're making $300,000, dollars a year, you need a CPA. You, you just, you do. And you're making a mistake if you don't have one. Because ultimately, a good CPA, a good tax advisor, they save you money. Like, yes, you'll pay them money, but they're going to save you a lot more money over time. Yeah, that's the whole reason I even started going to H&R Block in, I think it was 2013-ish. Uh, I tried using Turbo, it was either TurboTax or H&R Block's, you know, online thing. And all I, I had some stock trades uh, that, you know, from my super amateur um, use of this automated tool, it ended up I was going to owe like $1,200. And so I sent it to, I, so I, I went to the actual H&R Block, I saw my guy. I've been seeing every year since because he makes me, he, he gets me back so much money. The $200 or whatever it is that I spend for H&R Block is nothing compared to the returns I get. I'm making more now. I'm no longer a student. Um, so I, I, you know, I'm 
paying a little bit more in or not getting, not getting as much back, but, uh, you know, it's definitely been worth it for me to, to see somebody. Um, and maybe once I am in that six figure area or a little more complex business, uh, ventures, I'll like actually get a CPA. Um, but you know, if it's good enough for Jack Spearco, I think H and R is good enough for me. Well, then one of my favorite, uh, sayings with regard to that is if you think it's expensive to hire a professional, Try hiring an amateur. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, cool, Matt. Well, I really appreciate your time tonight. Um, great idea coming on the show. I appreciate you reaching out. Um, and actually, audience members, if you have like a unique um, or interesting business venture, hobby, that kind of thing, don't hesitate to hit me up because I, I like having, while I like having like the celebrity podcasters and stuff like that on the show, um, I get much better feedback on these, on these episodes where I'm just talking to normal people who have unique, uh, unique hustles. So, um, thanks to you, Matt. Uh, and I will probably see you in a couple of weeks when I'm in Dallas. And, um, actually I think this episode is going to be airing while I'm down there. So we'll be able to we're not going to listen to it together because I hate listening to these things, but, but, but at least it'll show up in our podcast feeds together. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Tom Woods would kill me if I didn't do a little bit of self-promotion. Yes, absolutely. So uh, agoristaxadvice.com slash Blackbird. Uh, it's already set up. Uh, it's not live yet, but it's going to go live tomorrow. So well right. before the podcast is up. And that's just a way you'll be able to set up a uh Anybody can do basically reach out to me and set up a conversation to see if they want me to help them to see if I can help them. Totally free. Um, I use Calendly to just set up these appointments. So please, uh, agoristaxadvice.com slash Blackbird. Cool. Are you on social at all? I am on some social. I'm a little bit on MeWe. I'm mostly on Telegram these days. I'm technically on Facebook, but I think I check it every other week. So um and I turned off notifications for Facebook and Twitter on my phone. Best best decision I've ever made in my life. I'm so much I, uh, so much better off with it. I I got off Facebook as an experiment. Actually, it was right after uh, the Jack Spirico thing in November, and then I posted something, and suddenly my account got banned for 24 hours. But it was actually oh like God. something I had posted in July. And it was uh, a meme making fun of uh, Kamala being announced as the vice presidential candidate, but this was apparently promoting violence. And it was like, okay, thanks, Facebook. You just made it really easy. See you later. Wow. All right, dude. Well, I appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me on. I really had a good time. All right. All right. Thanks again to Matt for joining me today. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. If you haven't already, please head to blackbird.substack.com to sign up for emails whenever I release content, whether it be this podcast or written content. Uh, That is the best way to subscribe to the show. And so with that, I will see you on the next episode of Blackbird. And until then, live free.